welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, why not check out our website, birminghamvineyard.com. So today we're going to be continuing our sermon series on, uh, called Insights, looking at the bits of the Bible that you wouldn't often look at or read. Last week um, we looked at the book of Nahum and God's justice. And today we're going to be looking at another hidden gem in the Bible, the book of Obadiah. So you might want to flick there in your Bibles if you've got an Obadiah. You might be thinking, the book of who? <laughs> Some of you might be, even be wondering how to spell Obadiah, although it did come, just come up on the screens. So I came up with a helpful memory aid for us to walk through as we, um, as we journey on this book, through this book together tonight. So it's a helpful memory aid for us to remember how to spell Obadiah. But the cool part of it is, is that this is actually the main message of the book of Obadiah as well, summarised in, you'll see what I mean in a second. So, can I have the slide up? We're going to work through, through this together. One brother's approaching disaster invites active humility. O-B-A-D-I-A-H. Come on. One brother's approaching disaster invites active humility. Why don't you turn to your neighbour and just say that. Just say that. One brother's approaching disaster invites active humility. If that's a little bit of a tongue twister for you, it was for me too until I rehearsed it like 20 times. <laughs> but it makes sense and it is the letters. So... Now, that sentence might not mean a great deal to you right now, but hopefully in about 20 minutes, um, you'll know what Obadiah is all about and some of the lessons that we can learn from it and apply to our own lives. Obadiah is actually the shortest book in the Old Testament with just 21 verses. He was definitely living off the, uh, the mantra of quality, not quantity. Um, about the author, nobody's really sure. Um, Obadiah just kind of means servant of God. And it was one of the most common names in Israel at the time. And so the, the author could have just been speaking about himself like, oh yes, I'll call myself Obadiah. Even that, might, that might not even be his name. But what there is most consensus about is when it was written. The book is most likely written just after Israel uh, was invaded by the Babylonian Empire that was led by this dude called Nebuchadnezzar. That's a story for another time, um, but for context, this is after the Israelites have left the desert, have escaped from Israel, um, after King David, um, after the Israelites have turned away from God. Basically, the Babylonians invade, destroy Jerusalem, destroy the Temple of God, kill thousands of Israelites, and take thousands of others into captivity in what we sometimes call the exile. But to really understand Obadiah, we have to go all the way back, all the way to the front of our Bibles, to Genesis, where we find the story of one brother against another. And I just wanted to quickly say, um, if you can hear someone talking in the back, we're just delighted to have Poi translating um, tonight um, for the Cantonese uh, community. Um, she's doing a wonderful job helping us all to engage. So you might have heard of a guy called Abraham. Um, he had two sons called Ishmael and Isaac. And Isaac then also had two more sons called... Jacob and Esau, absolutely. Well, brothers in Abraham's family didn't have the best of relationships. In fact, Esau hated Jacob after Jacob took Esau's birthright and, and then had his blessing in what was pretty sly ways. Um, they separated from each other. They became two nations. Jacob became Israel and the Israelites. And Esau became Edom and the Edomites. You with me so far? Just like the brothers Jacob and Esau, the two peoples that, that emerged from them didn't have a great relationship either. There was war after war between them and decades of hostility and competition. Family can be like that sometimes, hey. But this time, this time, the Edomites had taken it too far. 
the Babylonians had come to invade and the Edomites had completely abandoned their relatives, Israel, in their time of need. Moreover, they actively encouraged their destruction and exploited it for their gain. Obadiah is warning the Edomites of what is to come as a result of their cruelty, the approaching disaster. Yeah, we've got one brother approaching disaster. Let's read together from verse 10. It says this, Because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame, you will be destroyed forever. On that day you stood aloof, while strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem. You were like one of them. That's the Babylonians. You should not gloat over your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their, destru- in the, in the day of their trouble. You should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor gloat over them in their calamity in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. You should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives, nor hand their survivors, hand over their survivors in the day of trouble. Pretty gruesome stuff, eh? The Babylonian invasion of Israel was a consequence against Israel as a result of them turning away from God. But despite God's anger with the Israelites, he was still a loving father who cared deeply for their welfare. You know, sure, the Israelites hadn't done a lot of good, but that didn't give the Edomites the opportunity or the excuse to come and take out their anger on Israel. Imagine um, a dad, I'm going to be a dad soon, hopefully, all going well. Um, imagine, a dad with, imagine, imagine a dad with two children, okay? The dad's decided, uh, disciplining the younger child and telling him off for something he's done wrong. Okay, we, you see that, you can imagine that. Now imagine there's an older brother that comes along and starts poking the younger brother and taking it out on the younger brother. What's the dad going to do? He's going to punish the older brother as well, right? And just because the younger brother is in trouble doesn't, make, isn't, doesn't give an excuse for the older brother to have a go at him. So despite their troubles and differences, God expects the Edomites to remember that the Israelites were family. He expected them to stand up for their brother's people. Is that what they did? No, they stole from, stole from them, killed those who escaped the Babylonians, handed them back to them to be killed or carried into slavery. Now these things, I hope you would agree, are obviously wrong. Stealing, killing, persecuting. But did anyone else notice something else that they did that God criticised them for? They stood and watched. They stood on in the day of their disaster and didn't do anything. Some of them, some of them killed them. Others of them just stood there and watched. And that's a challenge for us, isn't it? God isn't just, God's saying that regardless of whether or not we actually do what is bad, if we see bad things happening and don't take a stand for them, it's just as bad as actually doing them. Isn't that such a challenge? I know that for me, it really is. When we see wrong things take place around us, do we just like turn away, switch off our brains and just pretend like it's not happening? I know that I I can do that sometimes. Do we just become uh, accustomed or acclimatised to the evil around us? There is so much loss and pain and wrong stuff and evil around us. It can be easier for me to just shut down, close my eyes, look away and pretend it's not happening. God's challenge to us all as his people is to not just stand by when we see injustice, but to be active in bringing his justice in our world today. So let me ask you, how could you be active in ending the injustice that you see around you? Reflect and think, where do you see injustice? Maybe in the workplace, where you see something happening that isn't right. Or at school and uni, where you witness bullying. 
or if you witness discrimination in public places or on the bus or even closer to home. What's getting your attention? What next steps is Jesus inviting you to take to end that injustice? So God is a God of justice, and that can be a scary thing to talk about sometimes, can't it? We like to talk about God as all-loving, which he is. That's like a bit of an easy message, isn't it? The gospel is that God will accept and love anyone regardless of what they've done, and it's true. However, when we talk about God as a God of justice, that can make God seem, what, harsh, angry, scary, distant, uh, penalising, or even like arrogant, like he's going to punish you. But is that what God's justice is really about? When we see uh, evil like racism or what's happening in the Ukraine or modern day slavery or corruption, we all agree, whether we follow Jesus or not, I'm sure we all agree that someone should be held to account, right? These things, something should be done. These things cannot continue to happen. The wrong needs to be put right. And that sense, that feeling is God's justice, which he has knitted inside one of each one of us. He designed it because we mirror him. We're designed in his image and he put his justice inside of us. We need God to judge the guilty so that the innocent can be made free, made whole, be healed. The good news is that God's judgment is always perfect. eh? It's not tainted like human judgment. It isn't swayed by selfish ambition or previous experiences or things from your upbringing or anything else that might cloud our human judgment. So where are we? We see that God has seen the actions of the Edomites, we've seen that, and judged their actions to be wrong and awful atrocities. And God uses Obadiah to warn them about the the approaching disaster. Let's read together from verse 6. We're just going to be jumping around the passage a little bit. He says, But how Esau will be ransacked, his hidden treasures pillaged. All your allies will force you to the border. Your friends will deceive and overpower you. Those who eat your bread will set a trap for you, but you will not detect it. In that day, declares the Lord, will I not destroy the wise men of Edom, those of understanding in the mountains of Esau? Your warriors, Tiaman, will be terrified, and everyone in Esau's mountains will be cut down in the slaughter. For all things to be made right, God must judge and deal with the things that are wrong. God will deal with all the evil in the world. In order for his kingdom to come, everything against his kingdom cannot remain anymore. If things have to be perfect, the non-perfect stuff has to go somewhere. In verse 15, Obadiah says, the day of the Lord is near for all nations. And Jesus advances this when he comes. He says, the kingdom of God is here. Not just the day of the Lord is near, the kingdom of God is here. When Jesus came into the world, it was like a spark had gone off. He sparked, or the theological word is inaugurated, um, his kingdom on the earth. He hasn't come back again yet to fully establish it, i.e. we're not in heaven yet, in case you hadn't realised. But while not yet fully established, it is partly here, it's partly a reality. And in his kingdom, God will make all things new. And he'll get rid, of, get rid of evil, pain, hurt, sickness. His kingdom will bring peace, goodness, joy, love and acceptance. Evil doesn't stand a chance. So if you're going through a time of difficulty where it feels like everything is just coming against you and you can't seem to catch a break, if you're encountering difficulty after difficulty, or if your heart is breaking for a situation around the world, um, around you, you can take heart and be confident that God will deal with that evil, whether now or in the future, God will deal with it. 
He will deal with it so that you don't have to. He doesn't ask us to fight our battles, does he? He doesn't even ask us to judge other people or situations coming against us. Instead, in Exodus 14, 14, he says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. How could you come before God today? How could you bring your situation before him today? Let me just pray and we'll continue on a little bit. Father, I just lift up all those who are going through a difficult time right now. All those who've walked in this room and are just holding something that they can barely keep hold of any longer. Feel like their fingertips are just tiring out. And we just invite your kingdom of God to come right now into those situations. That all those impossible things would suddenly be made possible because your kingdom is here. And we invite your spirit into each one of them and say, Jesus, would you have your way? And Holy Spirit, would you also deal with our hearts, with the evil inside of us, so that we may follow you better every day. Help us to be still. Amen. So, just a little bit of time left. We've gone through the brothers becoming nations. We've gone through how these nations have been hostile towards each other, how one people have acted wrongly towards the other, and that that behaviour will lead to an approaching disaster. Everyone remember all that stuff so far? We've talked about how that invites us to be active when we see injustice around us. And the final thing that we'll look at today is a big pitfall for the Edomites that we read about in verses 3 and 4. It's going to pop up on the screens. It says, The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rocks and make your home on the heights, who say to yourself, Who can bring me down to the ground? Though you soar like the eagle and make your rest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. So are there any keen geographers in the room? Any geography students, maybe? Yeah? Anyone else? Just me and Lauren? There we go, yeah, come on. Absolutely. I I study geography at uni, so I'm pretty interested in, among other things, rocks. Um, I... I love a good geographical feature, absolutely. If you show me some pictures, oh, look at that one. Anyway, um, so the nation of Edom was built um, on a bunch of mountains and rocks, and they thought that they were living in like an impregnable fortress, but it was just so difficult for opposing forces to come in and take their land because of the natural um, rocks that they were living in. They thought that there was no way that anyone could come against them, so they had put their security in these rocks. And they had become prideful. As it says in verse 3, uh, they, said that, uh, they, they, they kind of said to themselves, who can bring us down to the ground? In other words, it's impossible for me to fail. Now, you might have heard about quite a famous ship called the Titanic. <laughs> and what did they say about the Titanic? They said, it's impossible for this ship to sink. In fact, the captain of the Titanic, anyone know what he said? Even God himself couldn't sink this ship. That's a bit of a challenge, isn't it, really? I kind of think, God, they're like, you bet. But if you've heard anything of the story, you'll know that it sank. And this is the danger of pride. This is the danger that God was warning the Edomites of. And it's important for us to heed this warning too. Pride sets us up for sinking. Pride is when we have a very high view of ourselves and a very low view of everyone else. It says, I'm so great, 
I am so much better than other people. I'm, no one, I, I'm, I'm like no one else. I'm by far the most important person here. Now, I bet probably most of us could probably say that we haven't said that in our lifetimes. But maybe just in small ways, we've seen some of those things start to creep in. For example, I'm not going to help with that. I've already helped with loads, and other people haven't helped at all. Or that just isn't worth my time. Challenging, isn't it? We can start to think that we're above certain tasks or start to see ourselves as better than others or, or even hold others to a different standard um, when they make decisions. But Jesus came to earth and demonstrated how we can live with the opposite of pride, humility. Instead of thinking anything was, be uh, was below him, Philippians 2 says that despite being in very nature God, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. And so he set us the ultimate, the, the ultimate example, washing people's feet, eating with the outcasts, taking time to listen to those who, ha who have others didn't, um, asking the least of society how he could make a difference and help them in their lives. How wonderful Jesus is. Jesus' way is a way of humility, and it is through humility that we mirror Jesus' works and our own hearts soften and become more like him. One aspect of humility that I think is particularly relevant to our society today is that we're so quick to pronounce ourselves as right. Anyone else like that? I'm, guilty. I'm as guilty of this as anyone. We have become increasingly isolated from each other, haven't we? Through COVID, but just through life as well. And so we start forming our views alone in our own little camps and, and not in conversation with the others who are different from us. We're encouraged to attach our colours to the flags that we believe in and to distance ourselves from all those that we don't. I've lost myself in my notes now. I think we all need to ask God to help us become more humble, to listen to others, to enter those camps of people that we might actually disagree with and listen to them. We'll never agree on everything. Friends, there are seven, eight billion people in the world. I bet no two people agree on everything. But we will leave the other person, if we listen to them, we'll leave them feeling listened to, as Jesus did, and we'll gain a greater understanding of the other point of view. If nothing else, that's worth doing, hey? Maybe you can see that in yourself too. I know that I can. Or maybe there's a separate area where you can see pride at work in your heart. What could you do? Maybe this week, maybe this month, to avoid falling into pride. Start to just bring it to Jesus. Confess it to him, that's the first step. Just confess your pride to Jesus and ask him to help you to follow his example of humility. So guys, we're coming to land, we have done it. We have seen how one brother's approaching disaster invites active humility. And hopefully we can all be aware of the pitfalls of the Edomites. And, and though the Edomites' fate sounds terrible, God put this stuff in the Bible because he longs for everyone to experience goodness and life to the full and freedom and joy. He longs for everyone to be free of the power of evil and death and destruction. We see how, we saw rather, how God will deal with all the evil in the world. And that, that can be comforting to us when we look at our own world. But he also needs to deal with the evil in us. Here's a scary thought. God will judge us all. 
I know for me, when I think back on my life, I know that I've done a bunch of things which was bad and hurtful and wrong. And you could summarise that as evil. And maybe, maybe you're like me. Maybe you can see that in your own life too. Well, God, here's the good news. God made an alternative way. Rather than having to punish us for the evil that's in us, God himself came in the person of his son, Jesus, to die for you and to die for me. Everything that we deserve, that, we, that, that God had to deal with because he is just, he didn't put on us. Instead, he put it on Jesus. And Jesus wasn't some like, innocent third party that was suddenly crushed by the weight of everybody's stuff. Rather, Jesus willingly took all of your punishment for you because he longs for you to experience God's love and fullness and eternal life. Freedom from evil. Isn't that good news? All you have to do is accept his invitation and commit to following him, trying to live in his ways, turning away from the things that you know to be wrong. And that invitation is open to us all tonight, whether it's your first time here, whether it's your thousandth time here, the invitation is just as valid. How can we come to Jesus, confess our wrongs, and turn away from the stuff that we know to be wrong and turn towards God? I'm going to lead us in a prayer in just a second. And if you'd like to accept that invitation in any way, maybe, maybe it's your first time praying that prayer, maybe it's like you're, you've been away for a little while and you want to pray it again, maybe actually you just want to come closer to Jesus in every day and you want to pray this prayer with me. In fact, we can probably all pray it um, if you want to. There's nothing special about these specific words, it's just a way to accept his invitation. So if you want to be free of the punishment that you deserve for everything that you've done wrong, and if you want to commit your life to following God's way and to following him, I'd love you to repeat this word, the words of these prayer after me. So, so we stand together and we can just pray these words together. Sometimes it's helpful just to like wake up our bodies a little bit and just be aware that God is with us. So you might want to just repeat these words out loud or just in your heart, on your head. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you took all the punishment for everything that I've done wrong. I confess to you everything that I have done wrong. And I ask for your forgiveness. I commit my life to following you and would you help me every day to be aware of my pride and of evil things around me and to honour you and follow you every day for the rest of my life. Holy Spirit, come and fill us now and strengthen us for everything you want to do. Holy Spirit, come. We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. Why not come along and visit us? We gather at three services across two sites on a Sunday and meet during the week in small groups across the city. More information on both of these can be found on our website. Thanks for listening and God bless.